Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. Today we talk about how cities in Connecticut can thrive despite the challenges that continue in the pandemic. Small businesses are the foundation of the local economy, from providing jobs to creating community. We'll hear from New London's Director of Economic Planning just ahead, and we'll talk to Ken Greenberg, an urban designer based in Toronto. What should leaders consider now and in the future to help urban renewal? First, we wanted to check in on how the Westville neighborhood is doing. It's part of the city of New Haven. Joining us now on Zoom is Lizzie Donius, the executive director of the Westville Village Renaissance Alliance. Lizzie, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Lucy. It's great to be here. You can also join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Uh, Lizzie, I mentioned you were on the show before, back, I believe, in the fall of 2019, uh, talking about the importance of Main Street retail in towns and cities. And so now, uh, more than a year later, we're in a completely different uh, situation. Uh, First, for our listeners, describe Westville to them and what's been happening the last several months there? Okay, sure. So Westville is a small commercial district uh, in the city of New Haven, and it's home to a lot of uh, neat little independent stores and dozens of artists and art galleries and studios, um, and increasingly a wide array of restaurants with food from all over the world. Um, Westville is a really warm and inclusive and arty place, very family friendly and with a strong sense of community. So uh, it's just a neat little neighborhood. Um, And we had growth when I was on last year, we talked about some of the exciting growth we were seeing. Um, And so some of those projects, uh, five separate restaurants opened during the pandemic in Westville, which was really, really exciting. Uh, Not to minimize the challenges that all of our stores and and restaurants face as well. Um, But we have seen some growth in the last year. That's amazing to hear that there were five restaurants that opened in the pandemic. Yeah. So how are they doing, Lizzie? Everybody's everybody's doing well. Um, everybody could use customers, take out customers, whatever people feel, feel comfortable with. Um, but these are really brave uh, entrepreneurs, like, you know, putting it on the line in a really difficult time. Um, in several cases, investments have been made uh, prior to the pandemic, and the decision was to you know, finish the work and move forward. Uh, Delaney's restaurant, which we had been a huge anchor in the Westville community for many, many years, um, and burned burned to the ground in 2014, um, causing a lot of economic trouble for for our whole neighborhood. Those guys were able to reopen in a new new space and they were ready to go in March um, and just moved forward, you know, in maybe May or June. Um, and they've been doing wonderfully. Camacho Garage, which is a, a Arturo Franco Camacho restaurant, is a really well-known chef in Connecticut. 
Um, they'd owned a building in Westville for several years and been working slowly on opening it. And they kind of sped up with the, with the extra uh, time that they had and, and were able to open. And that's a, now a huge anchor for our neighborhood. Um, and several of the littler places, um, they just were ready. They were just ready to go. So, uh, so it's been exciting. People are doing a good takeout business. They're working with the restrictions uh, for indoor seating. Um, and everybody's just hoping to hang on and, and do well, you know, when we're all ready to go, go all the time. Mm. And what about the businesses that have closed in the Westville neighborhood, Lizzie? We've we haven't seen a lot of businesses close. So we've had we had mm. one um, salon that did close. We have several salons in Westville. That's part of those are some anchor mm. businesses for us. We have one salon that closed, and then uh, Neville Wisdom, who's a wonderful uh, fashion designer here in Westville and in New Haven. He moved downtown. He had two locations and he consolidated them into a, a location on Broadway. It's like a, a very visible, uh, neat move for Neville. So we lost Neville to downtown, but we're, we're okay with that. And our, our anchor in Westville, Lotta Studio, uh, has taken over that Neville Wisdom space. Um, so they're going to expand their co-working and their photo studio into that into that space. So uh, you know we we have actually done very well in Westville. Mm-hmm. We wanted to say a talk with you today, Lizzie, because of the fact that uh, Westville is an interesting neighborhood because you have uh, mixed uses, uh, people living there, but also a commercial district that's, that's thriving or, or there's been work to um, help bolster that uh, over the years. But can you talk more about what makes this neighborhood special uh, and the people that live there? Sure. Um, Westville is an incredibly special place that, you know, the uh, focusing on the commercial district, we have many artists um, who live in in the commercial district uh, of Westville, live and work. Um, historically, uh, we we have uh, some below market rate housing for artists that's helped um, make that happen through through something called the Artist Lofts West. We have, um, you know, there's the Westville neighborhood that borders Westville Village, but we also have four other neighborhoods that are walking distance to Westville Village, including Beaver Hills and Amity, um, Edgewood neighborhood, West Rock, so that, uh, you know, it can be an anchor for the entire west side of, of the city. And that helps drive traffic. So for uh, at WUVRA, the organization I run, we've focused on, you know, keeping that commercial district vibrant and diverse and healthy so that we can drive all of those people into Westville to walk, to shop, and to uh, be a part of the community. Um, And we do that through um, like a really, really robust uh, slate of community events that we do every year, which has been a little bit different this year, but we have an art walk, we have a a pie baking uh, competition slash summer concert series, a giant puppet parade. there's a strong sense of belonging in in the Westville community. Mm. And so that foot traffic has continued, even though the pandemic has brought on new challenges, Lizzie? It is. It has grown. So I mm. think that is that's interesting. Um, it's we have worked really hard for many 
I think decades at this point to increase the foot traffic in Westville, like all uh, main streets. We've that's been a huge issue for us. Um, so we have worked really hard to uh, to see that and grow that increase. Um, I think one reason that we've seen an increase in the pandemic is that Westville is a small uh, area. So in terms of people's comfort level with where they might shop or visit one restaurant or spend a little time outside, we're between two beautiful parks. Um, Westville is a great place during the pandemic to be able to go and feel like you can keep yourself uh, physically safe, but be a little bit more part of the community. This is where we live on Zoom with us, Lizzie Donius, the executive director of the Westville Village Renaissance Alliance, as we talk about how commercial districts and neighborhoods are, are trying to stay connected, but also thrive despite the pandemic challenges. What's going on in your neighborhood? You can join us, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. And so I'm curious if you could talk more about uh, the the fact that you know New Haven has a lot of, uh, of great shops and restaurants uh, throughout the city and how that can impact uh, the, the foot traffic and the visitors that come to Westville, Lizzie. Yeah, I think, um, you know, increasingly we're seeing more new faces in Westville, which is wonderful. It is a tight knit community. So we know we're succeeding when there's people waiting online outside Bella's Cafe or our new Cafe Pistachio. Um, and I, I won't know who any of those people are. They're coming from all over the city. Um, so I think word's getting out about some of the exciting new places in Westville um, and people are looking for places to explore. So, um, so we're, we're seeing a lot, a lot of interest from around the region, which, is, which has really been wonderful. Um, one thing I wanted to add for us, and I think this is true for many businesses downtown as well, is that we have, um, embraced and our businesses have embraced hybrid um a lot of hybrid models so a great example of that would be the strange way shop in westville which sells pins and patches and flare uh for jackets and that kind of thing um and i checked this morning they have sixty-four thousand followers on instagram so alex DeCoulis, who owns that store does a great online business um and then he also has a following of people that will come to westville just to visit his store and then discover the neighborhood. Um, so in this time where where the brick and mortar is is so challenging, we've seen a lot of our businesses lean into lean into that digital presence or learn that digital presence, um, which has been wonderful. Mm. Uh, speaking of uh, businesses in Westville, uh, joining us now on the phone is Melissa Gonzalez, the owner of Vinanthro Modern. It's a vintage clothing shop in Westville. Melissa, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Hi, everyone. So tell us about uh, your shop and what it's been like to operate in a pandemic, Melissa. Yeah, so Vinanthro Modern is uh, a combination vintage shop Um and small batch handmade good shop. We carry a lot of uh, local artisans in addition to our inventory, which is primarily vintage, but also has some modern component, uh, modern designer components. Um, and we've been in Westville. This is our third year in Westville. Um, previously, we were in another New Haven neighborhood called East Rock. And uh, mm. during the pandemic, we've had to pivot quite a bit to keep our doors open and, you know, to keep our bills paid. Uh, a lot of that includes social media. Um, we do a lot with Instagram and Facebook. 
Uh, we've done a lot of live sales. We have um, an Etsy shop. And we've, you know, we've really tried to diversify what we have to offer and the ways that we have to offer it to, to stay relevant. Now, were you doing some of that uh, before the pandemic hit? Did that help you, Melissa, where you had a following online as well versus uh, just relying on foot traffic? Um, you know, we started out as an online business um, several years ago, and, and I, you know, we used to have a, a roving uh, vintage shop on an old shuttle bus and do pop-ups. Um, but once we transitioned into a brick-and-mortar presence, we sort of, you know, um, relied less on those features. Um, but when the pandemic hit, we sort of felt that, you know, even though it takes a lot more time to do things online and there's sort of a learning curve, that it was something we really had to buckle down and do. Um, and of course, once we started doing it and, and got the response that we got, it seemed like second nature to us. And we, you know, we've really leaned into that uh, over the past, you know, mm-hmm. six to eight months. Has it been a struggle at times, uh, Melissa? Are you worried about uh, the, the future months as we see cases rising? Um, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, once we got through the first uh, wave of the pandemic, you know, we sort of breathed a sigh of relief. But unfortunately, now that we're, you know, in the second wave and, and things are um, very challenging, you know, we, we want to protect ourselves and protect our customers. Um, and so, you know, we are maybe not as accessible as we were. Um, so, you know, we definitely have concerns about, you know, we were a fairly small shop. We can only have about five people in at a time and still maintain social distancing. Um, and so, of course, you know, on, on weekends in Westville, when things are really, really busy, um, it is a challenge to, you know, to make sales when you can only have uh, five people in at a time. And, you know, many times there's a line at the door and, you know, that, that can be a little uh, tricky. Um, but, you know, we're doing the best we can and we're lucky to be in such a positive and supportive community. Um, and so, you know, we count our blessings with that. Mm. Tell me more about that, Melissa, because we hear so often about small businesses struggling and, and location obviously does matter. Talk about the, the, the fact that this is a, a close-knit community. And, and what are you hearing from, from your customers? Um, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, we used to be in another neighborhood in, in mm-hmm. New Haven that didn't have such a close-knit uh, group of business owners. And I've really noticed the difference that you never quite feel like you're alone in this. And, and you know, just being able to walk a few doors down and get a coffee and, and, and have conversations about how business is going or brainstorm ideas or even collaborate with other business owners um, on promotion or ways to, to strengthen business or strengthen the community is just really something that, that is invaluable. Um, and, you know, I don't feel like I'm on an island with my business. And I think that that is key to small businesses succeeding is is having other people around that not only support your business with their own dollars, but also with, with their own dollars, but also with ideas and, and, you know, just conversations about how to make things better or how to get through it. That's Melissa Gonzalez, owner of an Anthro Modern in Westville. Melissa, thanks for calling in. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm really enjoying the show this morning.
Uh, Lizzie Donius is still with us, Executive Director of the Westville Village Renaissance Alliance. You talked uh, briefly about uh, the artists in the Westville community. We we know that uh, artists are struggling when we think about a studio space as well. Can you talk about uh, how artists are working through the challenges and what you're seeing in in Westville? Um, sure. I'd, I'd, I'd love to echo what Melissa was saying about, about the, the community of business owners. I think that goes for the artists as well. And those communities mm-hmm. are kind of, um, you know, integrated with each other, uh, so that there does feel like there's an ecosystem and, a, a, a supportive, uh, community there that helps people feel less isolated in, in this time. Um, so the artists are struggling with many of the same uh, issues that the retail businesses are struggling. I think of them as small businesses um, because that's really what many of them them are. So, uh, you know, they are looking to connect with the people who are interested in their work and supporting their work and stay in a, in a mental space where they can do their work. Um, and... At Woodrow, we focused on uh, trying to direct uh, resources and support that we know about to those artists and think of them as small businesses as well. Um, so we did a, we did something in the spring where we raised money through our virtual Art Walk event and through the Great Give at the Community Foundation for Greater New Haven and took all that money and made a small business fund and made small grants uh, to our retail businesses and also to independent artists um, and and other entrepreneurs that are working within within Westville, uh, and I think that the money was helpful, but also also the the support from the community meant a lot to people. Uh, those that money came through mostly like individual donations from people who appreciate the community that we've created and the work that people are doing. When uh, areas become desirable and hip, uh, you can see rents uh, increase and uh, people who've lived there for generations being pushed out. How is that um, being approached in Westville so that it does not become an issue, Lizzie? This this is this is something we are thinking hard about. This is a problem I did I I knew could be a problem, but thought might be wishful thinking. <laughs> uh, having the rents be reasonable in Westville for the for the shops and uh, and for uh, the uh, the people who live in our mixed use um, area, we have new apartments um, hopefully going in as well. Uh, as as we grow, we we are really committed to trying to keep our ecosystem as it is. If the rents in Westville were higher, frankly, we would not be seeing what's happening right now and what has been happening. A lot of why Westville is succeeding and why we have, you know, an independent record shop and these kinds of and Melissa's business is because you can afford to have a store in Westville. Um, try something new, build it, grow it. Um, and it allows us to have a diversity of, of businesses, a diversity of, of people who come to Westville and a diversity of people who live there. So uh, this, is, this is super important to us that I think, um, you know, it's, it's hard to gauge what Westville is going to look like when the pandemic is over, but, but we are committed as a community to making sure that we don't um, 
undo all the all the success we've had by by running everybody out. Mm. Well, well, we want to check in with you again. Uh, Lizzie Donius is executive director of the Westville Village Renaissance Alliance. Lizzie, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Lucy. I actually have one, one more thing I wanted to say because it is exciting. Our story is very exciting, but I do as a as an advocate for for uh, a commercial district just want to make sure that I say out loud how important the federal aid and the aid from mm. the DECD that's that's coming, how important those grants and, and forgivable loans are, that that's the critical piece that's kept people, kept people going and everything that we do is helpful. Um, but, but that I really believe that, that that money is necessary during the pandemic to make sure that all of these places are here when it's over. Thank you, Lizzie Donius, again, the executive director of the Westville Village Renaissance Alliance. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Coming up, we talked to Ken Greenberg, an urban planner who has worked all over North America and Europe, including in the city of Hartford. You can join us, too. Uh, how should leaders look to remake urban life? You can join us at 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We just heard how one Connecticut neighborhood is working to keep residents and businesses thriving despite the pandemic. How can cities weather this current crisis and use this moment to improve urban planning? Joining us now on Zoom is Ken Greenberg. He's an urban designer and city builder, principal at Greenberg Consultants. That's based in Toronto. He was a consultant for the city of Hartford in the late 90s, looking at a redesign, starting with the downtown area. Ken, welcome to our show. Uh, good morning. So we we talked a little about uh, Westville and what's working in that community. As you were listening, uh, what are some of the elements of that neighborhood that you think are really important uh, when we think about uh, moving forward and how to keep uh, cities and neighborhoods thriving, Ken? So it was really interesting to listen to uh, Lizzie and Melissa talk about Westville because in a sense, it illustrates a much larger phenomenon that's going on, which is, um, I won't say the rediscovery, but the acceleration of the value of the neighborhood, the place we live. Um, there's a lot of discussion these days in the world about the 15-minute neighborhood, the 20-minute neighborhood, the place where you can find all the necessities of daily life where you have, as they were describing, an ecosystem where people know each other, where they support each other, uh, where you can walk to things. Where you don't have to get into a car and drive to some remote place uh, distant from where you live. And in an interesting way, uh, COVID-19 has ended up being uh, what some are describing as a particle accelerator, pushing us to overcome a lot of the things that were problematic in our world um, and, and use our cities differently. So 
walking in public space. We've never seen, at least in, in my world, people using parks as much as they've been doing lately. Mm -hmm. People just walking on the street because that's the kind of exercise we can get. Uh, people trying to be sociable even as they're kept distant. And I think the, the stories about Westville were really illustrating that idea. When we look at how uh, cities have evolved, uh, can uh, so much space um, allocated towards uh, cars? And when you're talking about uh, with the pandemic, more people using public space and parks, uh, I know that uh, cities, including uh, local towns in our state, trying to experiment with closing down some of our streets uh, to help with businesses and social distancing when the 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 weather was good but now that it's back to winter you know the these streets have uh, gone uh, back to use for cars and i'm just wondering if you could talk more about how when we think about urban design and making areas uh, more welcoming and more inviting to people to come in not just to drive through so in 2011, I published a book called Walking Home. It was all about getting us back on our feet and dealing with the way we changed the urban world in the generations after World War II, when we all embraced the automobile, when we spread out, when we developed um, auto-oriented suburbs. And I was tracking in city after city, including Hartford, um, where I had worked um, previously the move back to the city. And as I've said, what we're now seeing is very, very quickly, almost spontaneously, city after city around the world moving more quickly, reversing that trend. And as you say, taking away lanes of traffic. Uh, in Toronto, we have this thing called Cafe TO, where we had something like 450 restaurants who were allowed to take a traffic lane in front of their restaurants and cafes and, and set up outdoor seating. Um, we've seen um, all of a sudden 40 kilometers of bike lanes installed that we were trying to do, but doing very slowly and very cautiously. And my prediction is that as people have in these last 10 or now closing in on 11 months of really difficult um, life as they have experienced this increased use of public space, they're not going to give it up. Um, this is something that we are really enjoying. We see the benefits of. And so this, this shift away from, it wasn't just being in our cars, but what the cars did, it is separated where we live from where we work, from where we shop, from where we went for recreation, for cultural uses. And again, I'll go back to, uh, to Westville, the kind of integration, the tightness, which was a, you know, a phrase that uh, Lizzie and Melissa were using of that community, the fact that people were communicating with each other. Um, in a sense, we've come back to our senses. We've realized that that period, uh, those generations after World War II leading throughout the 20th century was kind of an aberration and we had lost track of things that really mattered.
Now, we are right next to uh, New York City, and during the pandemic, Ken, uh, we heard a, about a lot of people moving out of New York City and finding uh, communities to live on the western side of our state. What did it look like in, in Toronto? Because people, you know, maybe they didn't want to be in the city uh, during this, uh, this virus. I'm just curious what you saw up there in terms of people's mobility. Yeah, I mean, there, there, has, there was a lot of talk going back to last March when we first had the, the lockdown about what would the impact be on the city. There was an article in the New York Times about New York that uh, said that density was the enemy. I, I think there was a huge confusion between density and overcrowding as that uh, affects infectious diseases like the pandemic. You can have overcrowding at very low densities. Um, cities, and you know, we saw, for example, the low rates of transmission in Asian cities that were extremely dense, more dense than places like New York. So pe people have kind of realized what the problem was uh, about cities. We've had some in Toronto, we've had some of that uh, moving out people, for example, we people have cottages. Um, in the areas north of the city and some people who had summer places have gone to live in those but it hasn't been a huge number what it has done though is uh, a kind of what i think is positive dispersal throughout the city region and you might take the region around new york city including um, connecticut uh, possibly uh, northern new jersey um, and the areas uh, north of the city in, in new york state People going to smaller towns and cities, which are actually benefiting from an increased population. And rather than all concentrating in a kind of radial fashion on converging on one huge business district uh, through commuter rail or other forms of transportation, spreading out a little bit. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. It's actually given uh, life and vitality to some of those smaller places, which had a lot of great infrastructure uh, available for people to use. You're listening to Where We Live as we talk to our guest on Zoom, Ken Greenberg, urban designer and city builder, principal at Greenberg Consultants, about uh, the future of uh, cities as we've all been living through this pandemic. Uh, is this a moment that leaders will take uh, to really start to address uh, inequities and to remake urban life, uh, to make it more equitable for all? You can join us, 888-720-9677, uh, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Ken, we're having a little trouble hearing you on Zoom. If you could just sit a little closer uh, to your microphone, hopefully that uh, remedies it. I wanted to ask you, what about the people that can't move? Uh, when I talked about uh, how the pandemic has really highlighted our uh, inequities in our society and ways uh, to help people living in cities uh, that uh, may not be able to just move out uh, if they feel like there are health concerns, but maybe providing more affordable and, and stable housing and and uh, improving public transportation. Are these some of the things that you hope to see moving forward? All of, all of the things you've mentioned. I think uh, in the same sense that COVID has been a particle accelerator, it's also shown a very harsh light on those deficiencies, those inequities, the polarization that we had allowed to happen in our communities. So if anything, it's putting more emphasis on access 
to transit and parts of our city that have had inadequate access. It has shown a huge light on lack of affordable housing and the fact that we have uh, we're relying on people whom we now call heroes, the frontline workers, people in um, working in grocery stores, people uh, delivering goods who were not able to live in the hearts of cities because they had become too expensive. And so this has really pushed people um, in the world that I'm in to consider things like inclusionary zoning that would require affordable housing in all new development. Uh, a huge emphasis on the way we care for seniors um, in long-term uh, care, what you would call nursing homes, which have been hit so hard, uh, inadequate pay for um, people who work in those facilities who have been forced to take multiple jobs, making themselves and the people they're caring for even more vulnerable. So my hope and belief is we will come out of this period uh, no longer taking for granted that the systems we had were working because they weren't and politicians uh, really embracing the fact that they need to do something to remedy those problems. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We're going to take a, a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Ken Greenberg and also hear from the city of New London about uh, its approach uh, to help with urban life. You can join us to 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We've been speaking to Ken Greenberg, urban designer and city builder, principal at Greenberg Consultants, as we talk about this moment that uh, city leaders can take uh, to uh, renew urban life while also addressing inequities uh, in this pandemic. Uh, joining us now on Zoom is Felix Reyes, Director of Economic Development and Planning for the City of New London. Felix, welcome to the show. Felix, are you there? Felix, can you Hello. hear me? Okay. Oh, there you are. <laughs> you got to love okay. Zoom on a, the Monday after a long holiday break. Uh, Felix, you can so, hear me now? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so I'm wondering if you could respond to oh. some of what uh, Ken has shared with us about uh, this moment uh, in time when we think about urban design and moving uh, cities uh, forward uh, in their thinking about planning, but also addressing inequities. <laughs> Yeah. So in, in listening to what Ken was saying, it, it's funny as he was describing um, the different, um, uh, I would say, uh, the, the, the pandemics, the, the uh, what the pandemic is actually causing and the effects um, to our businesses, to planning, how development happens, um, you know, how population is, is shifting and moving from the from the larger cities. It's funny in, in New London, we're seeing that in real time 
um, every day I'm, I'm, I'm witnessing um, this population uh, kind of shifting from the, the larger cities um, and people choosing a city like New London, which is has a high density. It's very diverse, um, has a you know, huge range in socioeconomic. It's an arts, it's a, it's a cultural district, um, uh, has large industries, has a waterfront, has parks, all the things that you'll find in a, in a larger city with a little bit less people, but a lot more affordable. So what we're seeing um, is in, in the last data that I received um, from, from local real estate agents is about a 40% out of state um, population are buying real estate in New London. Um, so all new home mm -hmm. um, homes, commercial properties, about 40% is coming from, from out of state. A lot of people from Brooklyn um, we're seeing, we're seeing people buy homes sight unseen, which I mean, you, you rarely see those kinds of things. People are getting what they're asking for or above. But if you look at it, if you think about it, I mean, a home in New London, you can get a four bedroom home for, you know, $200,000, $250,000. Um, and with the ability to work from home now um, and having kids uh, who, who you have to perhaps have to stay home and, and do virtual uh, schooling with I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense uh, people are, are you know there's businesses that are allowing folks to work from home and uh, we've we have residents that work for Google in California that moved to New London um, mm. and they're allowing their 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 workforce to work from home for the next year or two so you know those are the you know those are things that we've never obviously have never seen before but that's the that's the shift um, that this pandemic mm. um, is is creating in regards to population so a lot of the things that Ken uh, mentioned um, is absolutely true. So we're, we're, we're seeing those things in real time. So when we think about uh, New London before the pandemic began, where did you see areas that needed to be improved when we think about economic recovery and parts of your city that have not been developed? Yeah, so I mean, our central business district, our our downtown, is a beautiful historic um, area that is has struggled for generations. Um, I think you know people have scratched their their head for years trying to figure out what is it about downtown um, that you know we're having such issues growing. We're having you know low rents. Um, you know, low rental inventory. You know, the inventory is is is, is kind of in bad shape. Um, Occupancy is low for traffic um, is is not where it should be. Um, so you know, prior to the pandemic, a lot of the things that we worked on were really in incentive based. Um, and if you look at New London, we're five and a half square miles, and our central business business district was originally designed to be a regional um, business district. So um, what I've come to conclude uh, is that you know our central business is just too big. Uh, for, for such a small city, you've got some neighboring towns that have, you know, main streets like Mystic. Um, we, you talked about some areas in New Haven earlier in the show, um, but they're a fraction of the size. Um, so we have everything that those downtowns have. We have the ice cream shops, we have the barbershops, the salons, the independent record stores, the bookstore, restaurants, we have all that, but they're spread out in a much larger business district than other downtowns. So it makes, gives us the illusion like, wow, you know, I see empty, all these empty storefronts. And I tell people, we just haven't grown um, into the set of shoes that we're, that were dealt um, here. So, so when we kind of just come to that realization, what we've done was a couple of things. Number one, you've got to look at your planning and zoning regulations and, and understand what's hindering growth. 
Uh, so we made some some text amendments in regards to parking, in, in regards to being able to create new apartments um, in downtown. And you have to bring in just a, a different type of population and not just rely on commercial um, industry to occupy your downtowns. Um, so we're doing that. Um, we're seeing growth um, in that. And a lot of the things I go back to what Ken said, talked about foot track, they talked about, you know, in increasing your bike lanes. Those are all things that we were doing and have done and seeing um, some real benefits um, from that. But again, we're, you know, this is my third year um, uh, with the city of New London. Um, and, you know, we have a plan that essentially sees the downtown get back on track, probably in takes another five years. That was pre-pandemic, um, but we're hopeful uh, we can get back on track um, within the next uh, 12 mm -hmm. to 18 months. I wanted to bring Ken Greenberg back into the discussion again. He's an urban designer and city builder. Uh, Ken, we were listening uh, to Felix talk about New London, uh, the good news that uh, people from out of state have been moving and buying homes, but the downtown corridor is still a challenge. That is a similar story uh, for a, a lot of uh, smaller cities. Uh, what's your reaction uh, to uh, New London's uh, plan moving forward? Yeah, so it makes me think of the time I was working in Hartford and what we were struggling with. Hartford had wonderful Olmsted parks um, in the downtown. It had a great historic core. It had a railway station. It had some cultural amenities. It had Trinity College. And yet, halfway between New York and Boston, it was really struggling. And I think this is the moment when the virtues of the smaller, the mid-sized cities come into play. So I'm going to give you a bunch of adjectives which I think describe what people are looking for now. Diverse, inclusive, affordable, green, walkable, sociable, bottom-up as well as top-down, rich in amenities, and economically productive. And I think if you can provide and market those things in your town or city, this is the moment when what we've learned about the virtues that I was describing before of the 20-minute neighborhood, the 15-minute neighborhood, which is mixed, which is diverse, which enables you to do all the things or most of the things you need in your daily life without getting into a car, you have the winning conditions. That, those are the places that people will gravitate to. And not only is it happening in historic cities and towns, but what's interesting is that in parts of suburbia, where the whole world revolved around power centers and malls, the owners of those malls and power centers, the very people who created them in the, in the Toronto region, are actually turning those into neighborhoods now. They're actually colonizing the huge parking lots, they're tearing down the malls, and they're creating these mixed-use neighborhoods. So th this is an extraordinary shift, many features of which are really positive, that's going on at the moment. That sounds really interesting, uh, Ken, uh, this idea that also Felix mentioned about having to change some zoning laws, but not everybody is on board with uh, that in specific communities. And so how do we address that challenge where zoning can be changed to include both residential and commercial, but to also make sure it's still affordable? Yeah, the affordability is is a huge issue. You had mentioned in the earlier conversation uh 
with Lizzie the whole issue of gentrification, and it's a huge one. And if we don't address that at the same time, um, I think I think it's a huge failure. So uh, strategies like making sure that we build in requirements for affordable housing wherever development is occurring are absolutely critical. Um, there's huge inertia in the existing regulations, and I was interested to hear that Felix is talking about changing them. I live in an area of Toronto. I don't know if your listeners will be familiar with Jane Jacobs and you know, great writer on urban life, uh, death and life of great American cities, published in 1961, is is really uh, a central read for anybody who cares about cities. So I worked with Jane when she lived in Toronto and with our mayor of the time, and in two areas flanking downtown, 400 acres, which had been formerly industrial areas, the zoning didn't permit any legal residential. We simply removed that restriction and almost within a very short period of time got 50,000 housing units occurring in these areas, a population of over 100,000 by allowing people to repopulate a lot of the warehouse buildings that were being torn down for parking lots. Zoning is a powerful tool. It can be undoing a lot of the prohibitions in zoning can be a very creative way of inducing change. Mm. Felix, I wanted to go back to you again. Felix Reyes is here. He's the Director of Economic uh, Planning uh, with uh, the City of New London. Uh, Ken shared some adjectives of what people will be looking for and how cities can respond. Uh, Can we talk about diversity? Because uh, New London, you know, this is a diverse area, and I'm wondering how uh, that has attracted people to New London. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in, in, in diversity, you know, it's it's much more than just, you know, race um, and economic background. I mean, we're talking a diverse talent. Um, we have a huge cultural district and you know, arts um, uh, community um, in, in regarding age uh, from senior citizens, um, we were, you know, robust school system. Um, it's a magnet school that attracts kids from 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 around the region. Um, so diversity hits on many levels um, in the city of, of of New London. But yes, I mean, I think one of the things I remember, um, I was asked to do the, the speech at a graduation when I started working for New London for the high school students. And um, one of the things I mentioned was, you know, my success. I'm a, I'm a New London product, um, by the way. So born and raised in New London, and I said my success um, in, in 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 the corporate uh, uh, sector when I worked there had a lot to do with growing up where I had, you know, um, uh, Indian family in front of me, a Jewish family to the, to the right, a black to the left. Um, and that's, that's new London. Um, and, and, you know, the, the sights and sounds and the smells and the culture, um, are extremely diverse, um, in the music. Uh, so, and, and, and one of the biggest things is, is point of view, right? So when you have a lot of diversity, you have a lot of ideas. Um, um, and that makes, you know, planning uh it can make it very fun it's interesting it can make it difficult um um at times um but education is always key um when planning in a very diverse uh mm-hmm. neighborhood especially um folks that are concerned about um how the city is addressing gentrification um 
And I'm glad that was mentioned because uh, I, I always say, if you ask 10 people to define gentrification, I will tell you, you're going to get 10 different answers uh, because a lot of it has to do with how it affects you personally um, is what I've seen in the conversations that I've had um, with, 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 uh, with uh, residents and neighborhood leaders uh, that uh, want the, the uh, issue mm-hmm. addressed. And yes, as mentioned, you know, zoning can play a role in that. You know, we've got a lot of development that needs a lot of tax abatements and credits and, and things of that nature. Um, and then when the private sector is trying to build out market rate apartments, um, giving them a tax break should come with, hey, listen, well, we need at least 10% of affordable housing. Um, and that's one of the biggest um, things that on the planning side that I'm dealing with now, because New London is building um, an incredible amount of housing in such a small um, footprint. Um, we're, we're, we're a postage stamp um, and we're building a lot of housing. Over a thousand mm-hmm. units is in the pipeline. And, and, and some of that um, housing, uh, the affordable side of it is very difficult. We're already maxed out at 23% affordable housing. And what people have a hard time understanding is that when you when you are you know uh, when you get to that threshold, the state starts um, um, uh, making it a lot more difficult for developers to get the credits required to build that affordable housing because um, they want it spread around through the state. But we all know you know Greenwich is not building it. Um, some of the surrounding mm-hmm. affluent towns are not bu- um, building it. Um, but you know, in cities like Bridgeport, Meriden, Hartford, um, Stanford, and New London. Are are charged with uh, making sure that we continue to create housing uh, for our residents um, and families. Um, and so we have to be creative um, at, the, at the municipal um, level um, um, as well. Um, but and to, Felix, to and your, we'll just, Felix, we'll have to end it there, unfortunately, because we're out of time. But it's been interesting to hear from you to talk about uh, how uh, New London is looking to move forward. I want to thank you for joining us here on Where We Live, Director of Economic Development and Planning. And Ken Greenberg was here, urban designer and city builder, with a lot of good thoughts about how uh, city leaders uh, can think about the future as we get through this pandemic. Uh, Today's show produced by Tess Terrible. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.